Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Far-Fetched Fables, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Starship Sofa and Tales to Terrify. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, this is Far-Fetched Fables. This week, we celebrate our second anniversary by returning to the Weird West for another tale of Joe R. Lansdale's quick-tempered, gunslinging preacher, the Reverend Jebediah Mercer. It will be available for your listening pleasure on our website until the end of July, as per our agreement with the author. Joe Lansdale is the author of more than 40 novels and numerous short stories. His work has appeared in national anthologies, magazines and collections, as well as numerous foreign publications. He has written for comics, television, film and newspapers, and his work has been collected in more than two dozen short story volumes. He has received the Edgar Award, eight Bram Stoker Awards, the Horror Writers Association Lifetime Achievement Award, the British Fantasy Award, the Grinzani Cavour Prize for Literature, the Herodotus Historical Fiction Award and the Inkpot Award, plus a recent Spur Award for Best Historical Western Novel. His novella, Baba Hotep, was adapted to film by Don Coscarelli, and the film adaptation of his novel, Cold in July, was nominated for the Grand Jury Prize at the Sundance Film Festival. A television series based on his Hap and Leonard novels recently aired on Sundance TV. You can learn more about him via the link in our show notes. Your narrator for the story, as last time, is Eric Luke. Eric is the screenwriter of the Joe Dante film Explorers, which is currently in development as a remake, the comic books Ghost and Wonder Woman, and he wrote and directed the not-quite-human films for Disney TV. His current project, Interference, a meta-horror audiobook about an audiobook that kills, is available free on iTunes and at quillhammer.com. So here we have it. The Dark Down There by Joe R. Lansdale Salamander shall kindle, writhe nymph of the wave, in air sylph shall dwindle, and kobold shall slave. Goethe, Faust Reverend Jebediah Mercer smelled them before he saw them. 
They came out of the brush along both sides of the trail. There were four of them. One had a pistol, one a shotgun, the other two were carrying digging tools, a shovel, and a pick. His hand went swiftly inside his coat, pulled his thirty-six Navy Colt. Before the fellow with the shotgun could lift it, the Reverend shot him right between the eyes, spraying blood and brains out the back of his head, in a mess that looked like vomited strawberries. A pistol shot whizzed by Reverend Mercer's head. He shifted in the saddle and fired twice, aiming low and letting the revolver buck. The first shot caught the shootist in the balls. The second shot found a spot in the center of his chest and nestled there like a horrible chest cold. By that time, the other two attackers were on him. As the one with the shovel swung it, Mercer flipped backwards off his horse and rolled on the ground. When he stopped rolling, he could see the man with the pick rushing toward him. From a kneeling position, he shot the fellow's knee out, watched the screaming man's hat fly off, and then the man flipped into the bushes and twisted around there like a snake with its head cut off. The remaining man threw down the shovel, leaped on Jebediah's horse, stuck his feet in the stirrups and started riding away. Jebediah stood up, laid his revolver over his left wrist, and fired, hit the rider in the small of the back. The rider didn't stiffen, didn't jerk, he didn't do anything but let go of the reins and fall. He hit the ground hard, lay on his back moaning. He walked over and checked the kneecapped man who was rolling on the ground, screaming to high heaven. You done blowed my knee out, the fellow said. You are correct, Jebediah said, and leveled his pistol at the man's head. I done give up, the man said. Yes, but I'm still in a riled frame of mind. Jebediah shot the man through the mouth. That's five shells, he thought to himself. He walked over and looked at the man who had the revolver. He was good and dead. So was the shotgunner who lay sprawled over some rocks, his dead eyes filling with sunlight. Jebediah found his last victim lying on the ground on his back, squinting. Jebediah's shadow fell over the shovel man, and the man turned his eyes toward the preacher. I can't feel my goddamn legs, the man said. That is because I shot you in the spine down low. You are about to take the slide into hell. You boys should have taken up another line of work. Robbing people doesn't seem to suit you as much as you might think. We're miners. I hardly call what you were trying to do to me mining. There's goblins in the mines. Goblins? For God's sake, please help me! I will help you depart, the reverend said. Tell me about the goblins. I'll tell you nothing. Then do not. But I'm not feeling too good about having to chase down my horse. I can leave you here and let you bleed slow and let the sun do its work. Way I shot you, you will leak out at a dribble. The pain may not be much, but you won't be able to move and by nightfall the coyotes and the wolves will come out. And if you should make it through a cold night, tomorrow you got the buzzards and the crows, and all manner of scavengers, including ants. You cannot even move your arms to push them off your eyes. I was you, 
That would not be the way I would want to go on my trip into the dark. The man studied the reverend carefully. The only thing he could move was his head, his eyes, and his mouth. Things don't smell right, the man said. And there's shadows moving all about. Those are the shades of hell, my friend. They are waiting for you on the other side, trying to grab you before you are completely ready. What you smell is what you've done in your pants. Hell? Those are the shadows of hell? That would be my guess. I do not take you for a Sunday school attendee. Being a preacher, I can usually tell about a man. It is a gift. You're a preacher? You can't be no preacher! I am. God wouldn't like you to do what you've done. You do not know God as well as I do. Under certain circumstances, he can be surprisingly flexible. Pray for me, Reverend. What is this about goblins? Will you help me go? I tell you. It is a possibility. In the mines, up a ways, down deep inside, they done near ran everybody out. There's a few men still digging, but most of them have gone off. We wouldn't have done what we was trying to do to you had we not needed the money to eat. The reverend's face crunched up. Then I guess that makes it all right. It makes it what it was. The shadows are starting to get really dark. I can hardly see you. I still say you will last a long time. The shadows will come, and the shadows will go. A lot can happen before they take you into hell. Please, pray for me. Well, I have to be going, friend. I have a horse to catch. Don't leave me like this. For God's sake, please say a prayer. The reverend nodded, recited the Lord's Prayer. You feel any better? he said when he finished. I do. Good, because it will not do you one ounce of good. You are going to die, my friend. God plays dirty dice, and he does not really forgive. Jesus was a liar. Then send me over, Reverend. Leastwise I'll have company. That you will. The Reverend lifted his revolver and shot the miner in the right eye, giving him the final jump into the shadows and worse. It took the Reverend about an hour to locate his horse, which had found some berries on a bush and was busily chomping on them, when the Reverend came up and took the reins and stroked the horse's nose. He noted there was a cut on the horse's withers where the shovel strike had caught the animal. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't a wound he wanted to worsen by riding. He led the horse for a while, finally stopped just before nightfall, where the rocks dipped out and formed a cave large enough for him and his mount. The reverend found some dry brush and piled it in front of the cave, lit up a fire, and made it high. It crackled and popped like someone snapping a whip. He reloaded his thirty-six navy. He took the saddle and bridle off the horse, got a curry comb from his saddlebags, and gave the animal a good brushing. He hobbled the horse in the cave with rope and sat down by the fire and ate some jerky, chewing slowly, drinking a bit of water from his canteen.
Out in the dark, he heard something. Listened to see if he could identify the source. He didn't like building such a big fire, because of the possibility that more desperate miners were in the brush. But it really wasn't the miners that concerned him most. It was what the dying miner had said about goblins. Goblins of all kinds seemed to dislike fire. He piled more brush on the blaze and sat back down. He saw eyes out beyond the fire. He counted twenty sets of eyes. They appeared to be stuck to the dark, like flaming yellow darts against black wool. He pulled his old Henry rifle from its sheath on his saddle, cocked it, sat back in his spot, and watched the eyes. They moved a little closer. He lifted the rifle, aimed between the set of peepers, and fired. The eyes dropped from sight, and the other eyes tumbled about like thrown coals, and then they were gone. The reverend sat and watched, and about an hour later, the eyes reappeared. He sighted with the rifle, but before he could shoot, the eyes tumbled away again. The horse made a noise behind him, and the reverend, without looking, called soothingly to the hobbled animal. The horse seemed happy enough where it was. It could sense what was out there, and it didn't want to be near it. The reverend sat up all night, and when morning came, it came in a swath of purple that fluttered down through the canyon like an unfurling robe, and gradually reddened, then turned the color of Inca gold. Gradually the air grew warm. The reverend fed the horse from the grain he kept in a bag, then fed himself a bit of jerky. The fire had gone out just before morning, right before the wood he had gathered played out, and left him cold and vulnerable. It had worked perfectly. The reverend went to where he had seen the eyes fall, and there was some stirred dirt, and something dark and dried, some footprints that went off into the rocks, and were visible no more. The footprints were wide and not too long, and there were drag lines between them, like a heavy tail had followed suit. Goblins, indeed, the reverend said aloud. He went back to the cave and stretched out on his horse blanket and slept with his hat over his eyes for about two hours. Then he was up. He dug one of his volumes of lore from his saddlebag and read from it. He nodded as he read, familiarizing himself with things he already knew. He decided his horse could bear him now, so he saddled it and rode along the canyon road that wound up higher into the mountains. The mining camp smelled like miners, only stronger. It was an odor of dried and redried sweat, bean farts, and unwiped assholes. It made the reverend wrinkle his nose. The main mine could be seen up the mountain, a big black mouth open in the rock. No one was up there. The goblins, the reverend presumed, had run everyone out. As he rode into the camp, he could see the stained tents of miners, and there were a few shacks with open fronts where jugs of liquor were sold. There were also sheets hung up around some trees, and they were designed to cover the bodies of the whores behind them. But from his position on horseback, the reverend could see the tops of their heads and the tops of the heads of the miners behind them. The women, dresses hiked, leaned against trees with their hands, and the miners took them from the rear. 
Not too much farther into the camp, the reverend saw a naked woman lying in the mud, with some pigs nosing around her. As he rode by and looked down, he noted that she was long dead. Someone had cut her throat from ear to ear, perhaps preferring that to paying the price for a ride. A hog sniffed the woman's bloated face. The reverend took his rifle from its scabbard and poked the hog with it, running it off. He let the dead woman lie. There was a big clapboard building on up the muddy path, and beside it were other clapboard buildings, only smaller. The big building wasn't really that big, just big compared to what else was around. The reverend stopped in front of it, got off his horse, tied the reins to a post outside with some nails driven into it for tie spots. He looked around. There were miners coming out of the rocks, out from behind trees, moving in his direction, or rather the direction of his horse. He had a feeling that if he left the animal outside, by the time he got through the door of the building, his horse would be gone, ridden away, or chopped up and eaten. He undid the tying and led the horse up on the little porch in front of the building, opened the door, and led the animal inside, throwing a backward glance at the grouping miners. They turned away sadly and made their way back to where they had come from, their shoulders hunched with disappointment. Inside the building, the stench outside seemed like perfume. It was awful in there. There were cots from wall to wall, and there were miners on them, and in some cases women, and in some cases men mounting women. There was a plank set over two barrels, and behind it, sitting on another barrel, was a man with a hat that had so many holes in it, one more, and it wouldn't have been a hat. The face that poked out from under it looked as if it had been carved with a hatchet. The reverend led his horse over to the plank. The man behind it, he said, You can't bring that horse in here. Of course I can. There he is, the reverend said. Well, you can't bring him in here. If I say I can, I can. If you do not want my horse in here, all you have to do is throw me out, and my horse with me. That can be arranged. Not by you. No, by them. The reverend looked where the man was pointing. Two guys with enough fat between them that, if rendered, would provide lard for the city of New York, moved toward him. One of them didn't have enough shirt to cover his belly, and the other one didn't have enough pants to cover his ankles. They make sure nobody gets smart in here, the man behind the plank said. With the exception of myself, I doubt a rise in intelligence is a great worry around these parts, the reverend said. What the hell does that mean, the man behind the plank said. Sleep on it, the reverend said. The reverend turned, looked at the big fellows, let go of his horse's reins, said, I would hold myself right there. I do not warn twice. The man with the too small shirt grinned and showed the reverend where some teeth used to be. You ain't worrying us. I ought to be, the reverend said. The man popped a snap-blade knife out of his pocket and opened it with a flip of the wrist. The reverend pulled the thirty-six navy and shot the man in the stomach, where it poked out from under his shirt. It was a good shot, 
caught him dead center of his navel. He dropped and rolled in the sawdust and human waste on the floor. As he did, he bumped one of the cots, turning it over, dumping its occupant on his butt. The former cot's occupant jumped up and kicked the screaming gutshot fellow twice in the head. Can't a man sleep around here? Then the man saw the reverend standing there, holding a smoking revolver. He stopped cussing and stopped moving. The other big man had halted in his tracks, one high-water pants leg propped in front of the other, his knee bent where he had stopped in mid-step. I hope my gunfire did not disturb your slumber, the reverend said to the man from the cot, and glanced about the room. Others were moving, having been awakened by the snap of the shot and the screams of the dying miner. He is gutshot, by the way, the reverend said, waving the revolver at the man writhing on the floor, and he has a long way to go before the trap door opens and he drops through. Somebody ought to help him out. Damn! said the man in the high-water pants, finally lowering his leg. That there was my brother! Do you have other brothers and sisters? the reverend asked. The man watched his brother roll about on the floor. He looked at the reverend. What? You heard me. The reverend was looking around as he spoke, in case anyone wanted to test him. He's my only kin. Now, said the reverend, you are an only child, and an orphan, or soon will be. Damn, Highwater Pants said. Have we finished our business? the reverend asked. For now, said Highwater Pants. He went to his brother and bent down and pulled his blood-covered hands away from the wound, gave it a look. That ain't good, he said. I've done been killed, his brother said. Oh, God, it hurts awful. He rolled around on the floor some more. Highwater Pants sighed. He went over to the wall, took hold of a two-by-four that was nailed there, but had warped enough for him to pinch it with his hands. He tore it loose of its nails. There was a screech of lumber as it came free, revealing a gap in the wall. He walked back to his brother. Now, close your eyes, Zender. Oh, shit, Zender said, and closed his eyes. It took three whacks with the two-by-four before Zender stopped moving. Highwater Pants tossed the board aside, looked at the reverend. You would have done better to have cut his throat with his own knife, the reverend said. I ain't done with you, the man said. The reverend said, You think you will have designs on me later? Don't turn your back. Well, if it has to be that way... The reverend, who had replaced his revolver, pulled it again and shot the man in the chest. He hit the floor, blood squirting, wheezing. Do not announce your intentions, the reverend said. I am a man who takes them to heart. The reverend looked around the room. Everyone was up from their cots now. Some of the men and women were dressed, some were not. One man was holding his Johnson in a protective way. Anyone like to pick up the board and finish him? The reverend said. No one moved. The reverend looked at the bartender behind the plank. Do you have any more complaints? Some that you would like to respond to in person? You have caused me to frighten my horse. 
The man shook his head. The reverend looked back at the crowd. They had merely thought they had seen everything. Now they knew they had. The reverend went over and got his horse, which had bolted, knocking over a man on a cot. He led the animal back to the plank. He reached the reins across the plank to the man behind it. Hold him for me. Yes, sir. The man took hold of the reins. All right, then, the reverend said. He walked over to the wounded man, put his revolver in its holster. He leaned over and picked up the bloody two-by-four. He spoke to the man on the floor. I believe a bullet saved is a bullet you might need. And besides, good sir, wasn't this your preferred method? The wounded man looked up and bubbled more blood out of his mouth. It spilled down his neck and onto the floor. The reverend lifted the board high above his head, and with a fine use of hips and knees, gave the board a swing, catching the miner alongside the jaw. There was a sound, like someone had sat on a china plate, and then the reverend repositioned himself for another swing. This time, the sound was really loud. The reverend dropped the board. First one did it. Second was insurance. Now, I want everyone to understand that I am not a man to be trifled with. Is that understood? It seemed to be. There were nods from the clientele. The man holding his Johnson let it go. The reverend went back to the plank, said, Do you have food? Ain't much, the bartender said. Beans. How much? Five dollars. For a plate of beans. That is the going price. I am in the mood to negotiate that price, the reverend said. I will offer you fifty cents. How does that sound? The man looked into the hard gray eyes of the reverend, said, Fair. Good. Give me the reins back to my horse. Get me a plate of beans. And how much for the grain for the horse? What price do you want? The man behind the plank said. Well, said the reverend, I think a dollar would be fair, and if you do not mind, could you see to watering him, and I would sure hate it if anything happened to him, anyone took him away from you. That would make me sad as old Job. I'll care for him, like you were his mother, and he was a colt at your tit. Yes, sir. Just like that. The reverend had his beans and a drink left his horse in care of the man behind the plank. Before he left out, the horse let loose with some turds that splattered to the floor and sent an acrid odor across the room. It wasn't any worse than the messes the men and women had made during the night. It was just bigger and fresher. Clean that up or let it lie, the reverend said to the bartender. I leave that decision to you. The reverend went outside. The air was a little better out there. He looked up at the hill, at the maw of the mine, which was like a mouth in the rocks. As he stood there, he heard someone coming up behind him. When he turned, the thirty-six navy was in his fist. Whoa! said a fat woman in a plaid shirt and big baggy pants, with an old Colt revolver stuck in her belt. Don't put no hole in me. I got all the holes I need. And one of them... Except for the peeing part, don't give me nothing but trouble. Every miner up here is looking to put a piece of himself in it, 
No matter I'm big as a hog and twice as ornery, but at least I got my looks. Do not blaspheme the body God gave you. Well, I think he was in a humorous mood the day I got this. He is a gamesman, the reverend said. Gotta watch yourself, mister. I was in the saloon. Seen what you did. I did not see you. I was smart enough to stay on my cot under my blankets. Soon as I seen you, I knew you was the genuine ring-tailed tutor. Them fellas in there. Some of them was friends of them fat boys, and some of them would just like to take your guns and hat, and maybe after they've poked their wicks in your asshole for a while, they might kill you. Thing is, they're going to be after you. Let them come. <laughs> Not saying you ain't a Jim Dandy. <laughs> just saying they are a lot of them. And you are you. And that you is one. Why are you telling me this? Them two you killed? They was cousins of mine. The reverend's face turned stony. I cannot apologize. They would have killed me. They would have. You can count on that. And I ain't missing them. I'm talking to you sincere. I didn't like them at all. They used to fuck me when I was little. Me, the dog, goats, horses, cows, mama, hell, for all I know, my old man, you name it. <laughs> what I'm telling you, though it's hard to believe, is they had friends, and they're meaner than a nest of rattlesnakes tied together. They'll be wanting to avenge. That could be a problem, as I am here about different business. You don't look like a miner. I am not. You look like a preacher. I am. You don't act like one. That is because most preachers do not know what religion is about. Once you know it is about being under the thumb of the Almighty, and that He is about as forgiving and kind as an angry badger, then you know the right way to act. I do not expect mercy from those who give none, and therefore I give them none. I give it to those who need it. Didn't that Jesus fellow forgive? She said. He did. I do not. I also seek out the evils of this world. There's plenty of that here. Yes, but there are other evils, from beyond and below, from places that cannot be seen. No shit. The fat woman lifted her hand toward the mine shaft, pointed. There's something up there, or so they say. I don't know that for no fact. Why do you stay here? I was cooking for a living. And then the meat and turnips and such started to run out, and anyone could cook beans, and they didn't need me no more, except for fucking, and I ain't that high on it as a trade. So I was about to move on. A good idea, I would think. I even thought about mining myself, she said. I think it's just ghost stories going around, and there ain't nothing in that mine but silver. Figure that story got started so they can go up there and work nights. I went up there one night myself, heard movement down there in the mine, and there was movement in the bushes all around that place. I thought I was being watched, so I got on out of there. If I had a partner, someone good with a gun and not afraid, someone to watch my back, I'd go in that mine, see I could work it some. There's been nasty murders up there, and there's a lot of folks come up missing. 
person alone ain't got no chance. How nasty a murder. Nasty enough. Heads torn off or chopped off. Reckon they got a dog done that. Well, lady, the reverend said, there is something in the mine, all right. But it is not miners. Least not the sort you are thinking. You gonna go look, then? I am. I would like to be in on that, reverend. I could be of help. I don't think there's anything up there but a few farts chipping away, while everyone down here hides from what they say are little people. That's just foolery. It's miners scaring people away from all that silver. And they got a dog. That's the way I figure it. It's just a dirty trick, reverend. Maybe, the reverend said. Listen, you ain't got no place to stay. I got a good'un. It's the only thing I got here worth a damn. It's a hideaway. I got some beans I stole and some beaver meat that's gone a little green, but cooks up all right. I ain't expecting nothing from you but company. I'll watch your back, and you watch mine, and we'll see we can't check out some silver up there. Well, lady, you have a deal, he said, extending his hand. I'm no lady, but a deal it is, she said, shaking his hand. Later, when his horse was fed, they rode double up a winding road and into the dark pines. Jebediah thought maybe he was being foolish, trusting the fat woman. But then again, he was going that way anyhow. He had it in his plans to see into that mine, see what it was lurking there. With all that is happening, he said, why do people stay? Some don't. A lot of folks left. Them that stay are hoping things will change, that they can get enough balls to go up there and dig for that silver. Some talk that line of shit every day, but come nightfall, they hole up like rabbits. Others that are making more money off the miners than off the mines, and the rest, well, maybe they're like me, just too dumb and stupid to go anywhere. And some of them, I figure, are the ones doing the killing, scaring people so they can work the mine at night. Do you have a drink at your abode? If no one has broke in and took it, old Butch is up there and they'd have to shoot him to get it. Butch? My dog. He's meaner than a wolf with a stick up his ass. But he'll do anything I say. Except give me a back rub. What's your name? My mama, bless her soul, right after I was born and before she run off, called me Flower. And it's been Flower ever since. I don't grudge her none for leaving Papa. My whole nest of brothers, they ain't nothing but the shit on the bottom of the world's shoe. They was only a notch better than my cousins you killed. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The horse had to work to carry his weight and flowers, which was considerable. The place they arrived at was behind some trees and was positioned on a narrow trail so that it was hard to know there was an opening there hard to see the big hole in the rock from which hung a blanket, fastened around some rocks at the top with a rope, pegged to the ground with wooden pegs. A dog was barking. The dog sounded big enough to eat a steer. When the reverend stopped his horse, Flower dropped off, said, You better stay here until I see Butch, calm him down. I've been gone a while, so he's kind of wound up. I got to baby him some. I'll call out to you when I got him ready. Sometimes I have to jerk him off to put him in the right frame of mind. Say you do. Yeah, he likes that, Flower said. Be sure that deed is finished before you call, the reverend said. After Flower slipped behind the blanket, the dog stopped barking. A full minute passed before she called out, Come on up! The reverend tied his horse to a scrub brush, walked up and behind the blanket, his hand on the butt of his navy. It was pretty big in there, and the place smelled worse than flour. There was her aroma, and the odor of old cooked meals, and the stench of the dog, a big black monster with a face that bore many scars. One of his ears had been half chewed off by something. The dog's dark eyes settled on the reverend, like gun barrels. Nice doggy, the reverend said. Oh, there's nothing nice about him, except with me. He's nice to me. He can bite a pick handle in half, easy as you and me can chew up a chunk of bread. He can run fast, too. Hell, he ain't nothing but muscle. I see that. It's okay. I've calmed him down, and he knows I'm letting you in. Did you have to, you know? Oh, no, he was in a pretty good mood. You can pet him. I don't want to pet him. Flower grinned wide enough that the reverend could see that her back teeth were dark as coal. Those were going to hurt her some day. Thing I ought to do is curry my horse, the reverend said. I hate to leave him out and unattended. When I had a horse, I built a corral and a little shed with a good roof on it. It's still standing, so you can put him in there. It's around the edge of the rocks just outside my digs. That night, Flower cooked some meat on the fire and the smoke grew thick inside the cave. So thick, Flower pulled the blanket back and let it out. What she cooked was the beaver meat and warmed-up beans. There was a little spring ran through the cave, so all that needed to be done was add water to the pot and cook it down. The beans weren't bad. The meat was reasonably fresh and only pocked with a few worms. Flower chopped some wood 
and slammed the axe into a log she dragged up and sat down on another. The reverend took a small worn Bible with a silver cross on it from his pocket and placed it on his knee. That there to give you comfort? she asked. No, it was twisted in my pocket. I do not find a book of murder, incest, rape, and animal slaughter all that comforting. But I believe it owns me, and it owns us all. Ain't there a Jesus part that isn't so nasty? He got put on a cross. That is nasty. And the rest of the time he needed a better attitude and a big stick. He got pushed around a lot. You ain't much for redemption, are you? Of the fire and sword variety, yes. I believe that is what God is about. The Old Testament. He does not do things because they are right. He does things because he can. That ain't something I'd want to believe. It is not a matter of wanting. The Reverend picked up the Bible and held it. He lifted it up, said, It is a book of power. That is what matters. He put the book away in his coat pocket, turned to watch the fire crackle and pop. We can get some lanterns and go up to the mine you want, Flower said. Whose mine is it? The Wood Silver Company, Incorporated. Miners are supposed to be working on a percentage, but since ain't no one around to keep numbers and pounds, whoever is up there working is making a straight-across-the-board profit. The Wood Company is getting a fucking. I say we have a bit of the devil's pee and go up there to look around. The devil's pee? Whiskey. And you want to knock you off a piece before we go up there? I'm willing. That will not be necessary. Oh, is it because I'm fat and ugly? This was actually part of the reason, but the reverend said, No, I just don't mix business with pleasure. And besides, you are a lady, and mixing our parts for the purpose of mixing them is not the way of my world. Say it ain't, Flower said. It's the way of miners. They are mixin' son-of-a-bitches, that's what I'll tell you. I was just offering you some cause we're friendly, and I was being polite. I know, Flower, and I appreciate the offer. I will cherish it. They rode up into the higher range toward the mine. The Reverend and Flower were well-armed, him with his navy and Henry and Bowie knife, she with a double-barrel shotgun and the old Colt revolver stuck in her belt. When they got near the mouth of the mine, they dismounted. Flower had provided lanterns filled with coal oil. They took a lantern for each off the straps on their saddlebags and started up the rise, the reverend leading his horse. They didn't light the lanterns because there was enough moon to see by. I know you feel there is nothing but miners of the human sort, the reverend said. But I want to prepare you that I know it to be something different. I have met them on the trail. Them? Kobolds. Hubolds? She said. Kobolds. Who are they? They live deep inside the earth. Like men, they like silver. I do not know why. Maybe for the same reasons men like it. I know very little about them, outside of what I've read about them in The Book of Doches. The what? 
Flower said, wrinkling her brow. A tome of wizardry, witchery, and demonology. All that, huh? Yes. And they come up from down deep in the ground? She said. Yes, that is all I know. What he was actually thinking was, that is all you will understand, at least to this point. No use trying to explain, they also mined silver and had a queen of some kind. In fact, he didn't understand all he knew about it. But that's what he had read. Look, he said, it does not matter. They are up here, and they have come up from deep in the earth, and they do not like men. In fact, for them men have two purposes, slaves and food. Food, she said. That is correct. They eat people? Correct again. What do they look like? They're short, and they have tails, the reverend said. Or some of them do. These in this area do. As to their personal features, I can only speculate. Flower lifted an eyebrow. That right, Flower said. Tails, huh? I know. It sounds crazy. Not at all, Reverend. Do not humor me. Okay. You will see, lady, he said. Okay. You are humoring me, the Reverend said. Just a little, Flower said. They tied the horse to a spindly tree near the mine. The Reverend made a strap for his Henry with a cut of rope and slung it over his back. Flower did the same for her double-barrel shotgun. They walked the rest of the way up. At the opening of the shaft they found the remains of a miner. He had been dead for some time. His head was missing. The rest of him had gone to bones inside his shirt, pants, and boots. A pick lay nearby, and a wooden box. You still think dogs are chewing off the heads? the reverend said. Well, if they eat men, Flower said, they sure do waste a lot of the good meat. Way I read it. They like the heads, sometimes the feet. The reverend pulled the boots away from the pants. Only juts of bone poked out. The feet were gone. See? That is right peculiar, Flower said. The reverend was examining the wooden box. He cracked it open with his knife. Dynamite, he said. I ain't fond of that stuff, Flower said, taking a step back. No problem, long as it is not lit, the reverend said. That's what the last person got blowed up would have said, had he not got blowed up, Flower said. The reverend took out four sticks and stuffed them in his coat pocket. He found wicks in the box and stuffed those in his other coat pocket. He took one more stick from the box and one more wick and stuck the wick in the dynamite. He poked that one in his pocket so that it was easy to reach. He checked his pocket to make sure he had a box of matches. Maybe I'll stay out here, Flower said. Midgets with tails don't scare me because I don't think there are none. But I know there's dynamite, and you got it on you. I am not going to get blown up, the reverend said. I have handled dynamite before. That's what the fellow would have said had he not got blowed up, Flower said. Are you coming? Oh, all right. But don't fall down. I told you. It does not blow that easy. 
That's what the fella... I get it, the reverend said. I get it. He lit his lantern. Flower lit hers. Keep that lantern away from that stick of dynamite, Flower said. The flame is not going to jump out and light the wick, the reverend said. That's what I said. I get it. Inside the mine, the lanterns gave little light. The reverend and Flower followed the shaft along a narrow railway that had been built to push out carts of rock and ore. As they went deeper into the mine, the shaft narrowed and the rail ceased to be. A little deeper in, they discovered there were pieces of the rail against the wall. It looked to have been ripped out, bent and twisted, as if it had been nothing more than wet licorice. Flower held her lantern up high and looked at the twisted metal. That there ain't right, she said. Still think it is just men, the reverend said. Well, I still ain't got my mind worked around it being midgets with tails yet. They continued. The mine came to a wide stop. Flower held her lantern high. Hell, ain't no midgets with tails in here. But what's that stink? The walls moved. At first, in the lantern light, it was hard to discern. But the walls were trembling. It was because there were creatures the colors of the walls standing tight against them. The lantern light hadn't picked them up at first, but as they moved, they were easier to see. They appeared rocky themselves, but it was the coloring of their skin. Moving, their skin changed as well, seemed to grab up shadow and wear it. They were about four feet tall, and had wide, almost lizard-like tails that dragged the ground as they went. Their eyes were yellow, like massive firefly asses. They were without clothes, and one thing was blatantly obvious. They were all male. A glance up revealed they clung to the high walls and ceiling like lichen, scuttled across the rocks like roaches. Flower said, Okay, I'm right there with you on the midgets with tails. The reverend and Flower turned left and right, holding their lanterns high. There were many kobolds, and they were coming right at them. The reverend said, do not wait to see if they are friendly, because they are not. Flower set the lantern to her side quickly. She swung the shotgun from behind her back to her shoulder. It roared. Kobold meat flew back against the mine walls. The reverend's revolver barked. Now Flower's colt spoke. One of the kobolds threw a rock, knocking Flower's lantern for a loop, sending it spewing flaming oil all along the floor of the mine. Then more rocks were flying— the reverend's revolver emptied, and he set his Henry to work. Kobolds dropped, but still they came. The reverend kicked them back, grabbed up his lantern where he had placed it on the ground, and backed away. When the Henry was empty, the reverend dropped it, snatched the wick-stuffed dynamite stick from his coat pocket, and pushed the wick through an open spot in the lantern. The fuse hissed. "'God damn!' Flower said, and beat at the kobolds with her colt, frantically trying to retreat from the dynamite. She was so animated, it almost seemed like there were two of her in the flickering light of the wick. The reverend threw the stick into the crowd of kobolds. When it hit and sparkled, all movement stopped. The kobolds paused, watched the hissing stick of dynamite with curiosity. The reverend backed. The wick burned down, and... Nothing. Just a sound like a mouse letting out a poot. A dud the reverend said. Run, flower. 
Flower bolted. The reverend tried to do the same. The kobolds rushed him, grabbed his legs, and brought him down, knocking the lantern from his hand, spewing its oil-lit contents across a cavern wall. The reverend glimpsed the fire burning along the side of the cavern. He felt hands grabbing at him. A foot kicked him in the side. Another caught his shoulder. Then he saw a short, bulky shadow leaning over him. A kobold with a rock. The rock came down. The reverend went out. When the reverend awoke, his head felt huge, and it throbbed and ached, and his nostrils were filled with a stockyard kind of stench. There was a grunting sound, and a sound of picks and shovels striking rocks and dirt. There was light, but it was a different kind of light than the lanterns. It was a blue glow, and it filled the air. The reverend sat up. He was bound by silver chains between ankles and wrists. He saw a group of men, miners from the little town below. They were scrawny and shirtless and shoeless, and in some cases without pants. They had picks and shovels and were hard at work on the walls of the mine. A large number of kobolds with whips lashed out now and then, cut the backs of the workers, screamed out something in voices as harsh as bleats from a bent bugle. The reverend determined the soft blue light was radiating from small lamps hanging on chains from the ceiling, or tucked in crannies from one end of the cavern to another. He looked about for flour. Nowhere to be seen. She must have died when the kobolds rushed them. Then he saw something even more amazing at the rear of the cavern. At first he thought it was part of the cavern, some natural formation. Now he saw it was, in fact, a pile of living flesh. It was in a somewhat triangular shape, wide at the bottom, flowing across a vast patch of the cavern floor. It was as gray as ash with dark patches within, along with strips of what appeared to be cracked ores of silver. It looked almost like an enormous snotty booger, but due to the silver, expensive. At its triangular peak was a small human head with yellow darting eyes and gray hair sprouting from it, tumbling over where a human would have had shoulders. The thing had none, just a head that tapered into a thin, short neck and then a spreading pile of goo. The reverend noted something else. There were mounded shapes at the front of the pile, not far below the neck. Breasts, dripping what the reverend had to believe was milk. It trickled down the misshapen body like pus from a sore. From time to time one of the kobolds would approach the pile reverently, climbing up on the vibrating mass of flesh, and suckle at one of the teats. The queen. This thing had to be their queen. They not only ate human flesh, but they gained sustenance from this. It was the reverend's guess she was, in fact, the non-sainted mother of them all. A kobold that looked angry enough you might think he was forced to eat dung for breakfast grabbed the reverend's chains and jerked him to a standing position. A pick was shoved into his hands. The reverend's first thought was to plant it in the top of the kobold's head. But considering he was more outnumbered than before, and he didn't have a firearm or a knife at his disposal, he concluded that, at least temporarily, this was not the best course of action. The critter tugged him by the chain to a place along the wall. The kobold grunted and pointed at the wall. 
The reverend understood what it was indicating. Dig. He swung the pick into the wall with a clank and began to mine for silver. The reverend had been at it for only a few minutes when the man beside him sagged and fell, his pick clattering to the floor of the cave, attracting the attention of the kobolds. They were on him like bees on honey. They pulled him away. The reverend turned and watched as the man's head and feet were literally pulled from his body by a batch of kobolds. They fought over the treats, wrestling about on the floor, chewing and biting both the man's remains and each other. When the reverend noted they were watching him, he went back to his work. He had no sooner planted the pick in the wall than he heard, All right, all you midgets, and you too, you big pile of nasty-looking horse shit. Here's your warning. I don't like you. I ain't showing mercy, and I'm gonna blow you up. So there. The reverend saw Flower standing at the opposite end of the cavern, standing near the narrow exit. She had a torch in one hand, a stick of dynamite in the other. It was dangling a fuse. She had gone back for the dynamite, and then come back for him. The fool. She touched the fuse to the torch, even as the kobolds rushed her. She threw the stick in their midst, and the reverend waited for it to sputter out. But it didn't. It blew knocking rock and dust and kobold meat in all directions. The force was so terrific, it knocked the reverend down and started a ringing in his ears. He got to one knee and remembered. He had sticks of dynamite and fuses in his coat pocket. He glanced at Flower as he pulled them out. She was swinging the torch, about to be overwhelmed by the surviving kobolds, which were plenty. The reverend shoved the fuses into the sticks and pulled out his matches, and lit the sticks. A man nearby said, What the goddamn hell? The reverend said, Run. The man dropped his pick and tried to do just that. The reverend tossed two sticks with one hand at the big mother, even as he watched her melting to the floor, going almost flat, her head poking up like an island in a mass of puke. She was flowing away, toward an exit at the rear of the cave. But the dynamite landed in her mess of flesh and even as he launched the remaining sticks with his other hand, at the kobolds hastening toward him, the first sticks thrown blew. There was a great blast of rock and dust and flashes of blue as the blue lights were blown out. The next thing he knew, he was on the ground trying to breathe. Rocks and bodies were on top of him. He couldn't see anything but blackness. And then he saw a light coming toward him. It was Flower and her torch, fresh lit, he presumed. She grabbed him by the arm. Come on, Reverend. We gotta hook him up and ride him out. The other men? Every man for himself, Reverend. Anyway, looks like them others done sailed on across the river, so to speak. Dynamite got up. Damn. Ah, I knowed all of them, and wasn't a one of them worth the powder it took to blow them up. Come on, let's get your big ass out of here. I'm hung. Well, I'd have to be a judge of that at another time. My foot. She let go of him and waved the torch about. Yeah, you got rocks on your legs. Here, hold the torch. I think I can move them. She handed him the torch, and he lay on his back, holding it up as Flower went about removing the rocks. After a moment, he felt the pressure on his legs relieved. He sat up. Flower took the torch and waved it over his legs. Look there, 
she said. A kobold had his teeth around one of the reverend's boots. Dove for your ankle. I guess I blasted him just in time. The reverend kicked his foot free, and Flower helped him up. With his arm around her shoulder, her torch to guide them, they moved toward where Flower had entered. As they went, the reverend could see in the torchlight that the big mother was sprinkled liberally about the walls. Closer to the exit, his foot kicked against what remained of her head, part of a jaw, half a face with a leaky eye in it. Damn, Flower said, flashing the torch close to the head. She makes me look pretty damn good. Flower, the reverend said, you are beautiful. When they exited the cavern into a narrow shaft, the reverend was strong enough to stand on his own. He turned, looked at the gap. He said, Flower, you got any more dynamite? Couple of sticks. Give them to me. She did. She said, I got a ringing in my ears like someone's beating a bell, so I'm going to mosey ahead there. You finish up. Look for the light from the torch. Flower hurried away. The reverend lit the sticks and tossed them, started moving as quickly as his injured leg would allow. Behind him, the dynamite blew, hurled him forward to land on his belly. He got up and looked. He could see Flower's torchlight. He scrambled to his feet and went after it. When he caught up to her, the dust from the blast was flowing up the shaft toward them. They coughed for a long time as they went through the narrow shaft, then up a rise and into a wider part of the mine. How did you find me? the reverend said. Well, one thing I got is a good sense of smell. You smelled me? No, that thing, that woman, or whatever it was, she smelled. And them kobolds, they was no nosegay neither. I just followed the stench, figured... Anything stunk worse than me had to be them. The air freshened as they went, and finally they could see a bit of light. As they moved toward the exit of the cave, Flower tossed the torch aside. They stopped at the mouth of the mine and sat down on the ground. It was daylight, early morning. Birds were singing. Look here what I found, she said, and from inside her coat she pulled the Reverend's thirty-six navy. Thank you, Flower. I am fond of this gun. You think they'll follow us? Flower asked. The reverend shook his head. Not in the daylight. And they won't be back tonight, either. Or any other night. Not this pack of kobolds. How can you be certain? Well, guess I cannot be certain. But the way I remember the text is the queen is their source of power. They may eat flesh but they have to suckle at her tits. Actually, the book did not say that, but that makes sense to me. And I am going to take a flying leap and predict that I am correct on that. Are you usually correct about these sort of matters? She said. As a matter of fact, I am. And since I say they have to suckle, and she no longer has tits. Or a head. Didn't ever have no feet that I could see. Yes. So it is over. What about the little fellas? Flower asked. They will die off, if they have not already. She is their source of power. She dies. They all die. 
All that's left of them now is the dark down there. They are done, Flower. At least they are in this small part of the world. They spent the night at Flower's rigged-up home. The dog lay silent at the back of the cave, and the lantern was out. It was nice and cool and dark and comfortable. The reverend drifted slowly off to sleep. In the middle of the night, Flower called out to the reverend, awakening him. Reverend? Yes. Did I save your life? You did. Is your life valuable? Of course. So that means I've done a good thing, don't it? It does. Do you kind of owe me? A debt I can never repay. Flower was silent for a while. You know what? What? There's a way you can pay off some of it. How is that? Flower lit a lantern. The reverend looked. She flipped the buffalo robe off of herself. She was nude, and with Flower, that meant really nude, because there was a lot of her. In the lamplight, except for her head and arms, she looked pale as biscuit dough, a tuft of darkness between her legs. How about, since I saved your life, and you wouldn't be laying there wasn't for me, you get over here and pay a bit of that debt off. The reverend hesitated for only a moment, thought, What the hell? I do owe her. A little later, lying in the crook of the sleeping, snoring flower's arm, he thought, Damn, that was not half bad. Not after you got past the stink. And that was nothing a good bath wouldn't fix. Next morning, the reverend rode away from there, and when he was half a day out, he heard a noise behind him. He looked back. It was Flower on a mule, her big black dog trotting behind them. The reverend waited and let her catch up. What are you doing, Flower? Well, now, I don't want you to think I come to get you to dip your wick again, though I didn't mind it none at all. But I did figure on asking if I could be your riding companion for a bit. I think me and that old mine and that town back there have done played out on one another. Of course, Flower. You are welcome. As long as I do not have to attend to your dog's tensions. No, I can do that. I don't mind. Where did you get the mule? Stole it. All right, the reverend said. They began riding. The reverend said, Long as you and I are riding together, and I owe you for saving my life, for the next few days, before we get to wherever it is we are going, how about you let me work off some more of my debt? Flower grinned at him. Hell, reverend, that sounds like one hell of a fine idea. The reverend winked at her, and the two of them, followed by the big black dog, rode on across the landscape. Let's face it, dear listeners, that is the closest thing to a happy ending the good Reverend Mercer is likely to find. 
Last year, Joe discussed the character, his novel Paradise Sky, and the Hap and Leonard TV series in an interview with Triple F editor Gary Dowell. That interview is still available as a separate sound file and has been transcribed if you'd prefer to read it. Links, as always, are in the show notes. One more thing before we go. Nominations are open for the 2016 Parsec Awards up to and including May 31st. If you've been particularly impressed by one of the stories we've presented over the past year, please feel free to nominate it in the Best Speculative Fiction Story Small Cast Short Form category. You can visit parsecawards.com for more details. Please remember that Farfetched Fables operates under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license, which means you can download the content and share it all you like, but you can't change it and you can't sell it. And be sure to give credit where credit is due. All other copyright remains that of the authors, and violators will be fed to the denizens of the dark. If you like what you hear at Farfetched Fables, please consider making a donation to the District of Wonders. The button is on the website. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this or any of our stories, you can also leave your comments on the Triple F website, our Facebook page, or on Twitter. That seems to be all for now. Looking forward to next week. Bye now. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network. Dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction, you can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.